You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. So who's your God? That's the question that we're going to be dealing with over the next few weeks as we walk into a series called God's at War, The Battle for Your Heart. So who's your God? Who's your God? I think for most of us, when we consider that question, uh, most of us would probably say, okay, who's your God? That's a that's an easy answer. Who's, who's my God? Well, you know, God, the, this God, he, he, he's my God, right? I mean, that's, that's probably what most of our answers would be. Hopefully all of us would say that. And um, that would have been my answer. I'm going to be real truthful with you right now. That would have been my answer until an experience that I had earlier this week. Uh, this, last Monday morning, I was reading through the Psalms. And as I was reading in Psalm 73, I read a verse that caused me to stop and pause and think. And this is what I read. Whom have I in heaven but you, and on earth nothing I desire besides you? Let me say that again. Whom have I in heaven but you, and on earth... Uh, nothing I desire beside you. And it's that last portion, that nothing on earth I desire beside you that caught my attention, caused me to stop and forced myself to ask myself a very honest question. And the question that I had to ask myself is, is that true? Can I truly say that nothing on earth I desire besides you? And in all honesty, I wish that right now I could say to you, the answer was no, nothing, nothing at all. But because I asked myself an honest question, I knew that I needed to dig for an honest answer. And um, in full disclosure, what I realized is that far too often there are objects and there are tasks and there are duties And there are pleasures, there are responsibilities in my life that I too often allow to take first place and rob God of his rightful place in my life. His rightful first place. Uh, As I thought about this, I was reminded of the first of the Ten Commandments, which says, no other gods before me. No other gods before me. So that's what God is asking of me. That's what God is asking of you. That's what God is asking of us. But again, I recognize that far too often, that's not the case. Far too often, I, and I think because of our humanness, you're just like me, far too often, we allow those tasks, those objects, those duties, those responsibilities, those pleasures to somehow get into our heart and get into our mind. And when they do, uh, suddenly there is a battle, there is a war that's going on inside of us and it's competing for the love and the loyalty and the worship and the allegiance that only the one true God deserves. Am I right? Yeah, I think that's true for all of us. The outcome of this war 
is distraction. And before we know it, we can be so, become so distracted that we find ourselves um, worshiping created things rather than the creator of all things. And it becomes a matter of divided um, loyalty, divided devotion. And ultimately, it becomes a matter of us worshiping created things or we're worshiping idols or we're guilty of idolatry. Now, I know that probably oftentimes if we think of idolatry, if we think of idol worship, we think of something that's more primitive, more pagan, uh, something past, uh, something that's not really relevant for us today. However, even if we may think of it as past, as pagan, as primitive, as irrelevant, um, what we find is that idolatry is prominent all throughout Scripture. And if it's prominent all throughout Scripture, that should cause us to raise a caution flag. It should cause us to be on alert uh, we know that Scripture is given to us as our guide, our source of life, our direction. So if it's predominant throughout Scripture, that tells me, it should tell us that idolatry, idol worship, is not just something of the past, but it's something that's present, and it's present in all of our lives. Um, the issue of idolatry is dealt with actually in every book of the Bible. Listen, every book of the Bible. So again, that should tell us that it's not just a past issue, but it's a current crisis in all of our lives. Uh, one day, uh, a Pharisee came to Jesus uh, and he wanted to test him. And he said, uh, Jesus, teacher, can you tell me, tell us which is the greatest of all the commandments? And here's how Jesus responded. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. We are directed by Jesus to love God with everything we are and everything we have. And in our attempt to do so, we can become so distracted and so deceived that before we know it, we've created little gods in our life, little G gods in our life. And they're, again, they're competing for that love and that loyalty and that worship and the, all that the one true God deserves. That's why it's important we understand that uh, idol worship, idolatry is not just about bowing down to some kind of statue that's been created. But again, it's not just something past, but it's a current crisis in all of our lives. And the crisis begins the moment that we allow something to take the place of God. The moment that something uh, becomes an end or at least a perceived end in itself. In other words, the moment we say that job will make me happy, that relationship will make me content, that whatever will make me satisfied will bring me joy. It's at that moment that it begins to replace God. It becomes an idol in our life. And by definition, guess what? It's not only an idol and God, but it becomes our God. It becomes the God that you and I worship. And we have to be careful. Kyle Eidelman, who is actually the author of the book, Gods at War, declares, idolatry is not an issue idolatry is 
the issue. Idolatry is not uh, one among many sins, but instead idolatry is the great sin that all the others come from, all the others stem from. So what, what does he mean? What does he mean? Well, let's think about this. Oftentimes, probably most times, when we're struggling, if we're willing to dig deep, if we're willing to do the work, the soul work that needs to be done, what we would find is at the root of that struggle, there would be a false God attached to it. Some kind of false God. And those false gods can be many, many things. And until that false God is dethroned and God is given his rightful place, guess what? We're going to continue to struggle because the problem the root problem of the false God is still there. So we're talking about being willing to dig, dig deep. So I think if we're going to dig, uh, there's a tool that we need. And that's that we need to really have a good working definition of what we're talking about when we're talking about these uh, other gods, these, these gods we create, these little g-grods. So let me, say, let me give you this definition. A god is what we sacrifice for and what we pursue. It's anything that we elevate above the pursuit and priority of God. Anything that becomes a substitute for, God's, for God in our lives becomes an idol. Anything we substitute for God in our lives becomes an idol. So, uh, would you just stop a moment? Would you just think... Don't say this out loud, but what are some of the things that you might have substituted? What are some of the things in your life that you're giving your time and your attention to, your pursuit, that may have become a little g-god? And you're like, would you just think about that for a moment? Over the next few weeks, as we look at this issue of other gods, uh, we're going to be challenged with making a choice. And we're going to be reminded that while there are many options, there's only one right choice. And over the next few weeks, this is going to be fun. Guess what? We're going to be confronted with the God of pleasure and the God of success and the God of achievement and the God of money, and get this all goody, the last one's going to be really fun. We're going to be confronted with the God of me. Have you ever thought about that? The God of me? That's, that's the big one. That's the one that gets in the way. Here's the bottom line. God is not asking for a place in our lives. God is asking for what? First place. He's not asking for a place. He's asking for first place. This is a whole concept of the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. And I'd love to be able to just teach a series on that sometime, the lordship of Jesus Christ. But he's asking for first place. Uh, maybe one way to think about it is um, uh, within an organization, it's not untypical for an organization to have an organizational flowchart. And in that flowchart... Um, there is, uh, at the top, there's uh, the, the CEO, the president, the boss, the one who's in charge. And then from that flows down um, all the chain of command, all the way down to the bottom. Um, oftentimes, I think we think of our lives that way as an organizational flowchart. And it's kind of like this. Okay, I am the organization 
And um, so I'm at the top. I'm the boss of my organization. And I know as believers who are here, we should say, well, that's not how we think. But let's be honest. When you get it on paper, when you get it in your heart, isn't that how it plays out? Is I'm the boss and um, I have given Jesus a place in the organization. He sits on the board. He, he, he's on the board. And listen, that's not what he's asking for. He doesn't want a place on our board. He's not looking for a place. In other words, what really we have to understand is that he is the organization. He has called us out of our organization. And he's invited us to be part. He's grafted us in. He's made way so that we can be part of his organization. The kingdom of God. The family of God. And because we're called to live in a different organization. Not our own. That means that life is completely different. That we live life in a completely different way. And even though the struggle to keep God first is a real and ongoing challenge. There's one thing that never, ever changes. God wants first place in our lives. I know we know that. Don't we? We all know that. But is it the reality? I confessed, it's not always the reality in my life. I let things, I let, I can let ministry become my God. I can let my family become my God. It's not always evil things, but I can let other things occupy my, my love and my loyalty. And it's, I know God's there. Yeah, God's part of my life and he, he's my all in all, but that's not how I live it. I'm being really honest with you. I was really challenged with this this week. And I don't think you're any different than me. We know the right thing to say. We know the language, right? We've got the Christian lingo down. We know all the right things to say. We can just speak it out. But can we, can we, can we live it out? That, that, that's a real question. Listen, we have some real clear biblical directives in both the Old and the New Testament that affirm this. We've already looked at one. Uh, I read it earlier, Mark 12 2830 that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. So we said God is calling us to love him with everything we have. But also, I want you to look at the passage that I had you turn to in Exodus 20 just a moment ago. And, and before, I, I want to read it to you, a few verses, but uh, let, me, let me just give you a little background. Let me give you a little context. Um, when God delivered the children of Israel... Uh, out of Egypt. Remember, they had been in bondage. They had been in slavery to captivity for 400 years. In other words, they had been living among the Egyptians for 400 years. So in that 400 years, here's what happened. They took on the character of the culture. They began to worship the false gods, the little g gods of, of the Egyptians. And so now they've, they've been delivered. They've been set free. And they've been wandering in the desert for such a long time. And then we find as we come to uh, Exodus chapter 20 that Moses is up on the mountain and God is giving him some guidelines, some guardrails uh, of how life 
is, is to be lived. And these guidelines, these guardrails that we're referring to, of course, are, are, are the Ten Commandments. The first four of the commandments deal with our relationship with God. The last six deal with our relationship with other people. Um, I'm not going to read all of them to you, but I do want to read verses, maybe verses 2 through 6 to you. So if you'll follow along as I read. Uh, beginning in verse 2, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So God has given these uh, guidelines, these guardrails, these commandments uh, to, to Moses. And, and basically what he's saying is that if the children of Israel will live by these guardrails, these guidelines, these commandments, they can live life to the fullest and they can live life under my covering. It's the best life for them. A uh, couple of things that I want to just bring to your attention that we can conclude from these verses that I've just read. And the first is this, the God who loves us demands allegiance from us. The God who loves us demands allegiance from us. Why? Why would God demand our allegiance? Is it because he's an insecure God? No. He's not an insecure God. Not in any way. He doesn't demand our allegiance because he's insecure. He demands our allegiance because he knows what's best for us. He, he wants our allegiance uh, because he's our God. He's our creator. He's our loving father. He's the one who gives us life who gives us fullness of life. And so he knows that if we can live by, if we can, if we can have no other gods before him, then we live under his protection. We live under his covering. He does it because he knows it's what's best for us. Because think about it. When we've tried other ways, has it worked out? No, it doesn't typically work out. We come full circle. We might feel fulfilled for a little while, but we come back around and it just didn't work. God knows best. These verses can also help us conclude that we are to worship the created, uh, the creator and not the created. He said, don't make for yourself any idol. Don't hammer out an idol. Remember when Moses uh, was up on the mountain uh, with God and the children of Israel were at the bottom uh, waiting and waiting and waiting and they got impatient and they wanted, they wanted a God to worship so badly that they gathered all their gold and they hammered out a calf so that they could bow down and worship it. I think that that has great significance for us today because don't we realize that we can take just about anything and hammer it out into a little G God that has suddenly stolen the love and the loyalty and the allegiance, the worship that God deserves. 
if we're not careful, we can take these temporary things and we can turn them, we can hammer them, we can hammer them, and we can hammer them until they become our God. And this is really what we want to deal with over the next several weeks. We want to talk about this concept. We want to talk about these spiritual, these biblical issues. You know, the day we started with a question, and the question was, was, who's your God? And that is the question that we're going to live with for the next several weeks. Who's your God? Each week we're going to be confronted over and over and over, and we're going to call out some of these false gods so that we can do some digging, so that we can do some self-analysis, so that we can be honest and we can talk to God and, and, and repent when needed because we're going to be confronted with some of the false gods in our lives. But I, I want to end today uh, with another question. And the question is, how can we live with an awareness of this battle, this battle, this war of the gods that's going on in us? Can we all confess that that battle does go on? It really does. It goes on in us. Well, uh, let me just give you three things to consider. Here's number one. We have to live with an increasing awareness that the battleground of the gods is our heart. It happens with what we determine to let into our hearts. Um, Proverbs chapter 4 verse 2 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything we do comes from within. It comes from our heart. So that means we have to be careful what we're letting in, where we give our allegiance to. Number two, recognize that what you are searching for and chasing after reveals the God that is winning the war in your heart. Ouch. What you're chasing after, what we're chasing after, what we're pursuing, it reveals the God that's winning the war in our heart. Anything that becomes of greater value than God in our lives has become an idol. Number three, finally, acknowledge that idolatry is actually adultery. Idolatry is adultery. Uh, you might ask, well, why? That seems pretty severe. Why is it, why is it adultery? Well, because we're giving our affection to something or someone else other than God. You hear that? We're giving our affection, our love, our worship, our loyalty, our allegiance to something or someone else other than God. It's because idolatry is being unfaithful to the one who created us. The God who loves us in a way that no one else will ever be able to love us. That his love is enduring. His love is unconditional. He loves us as a father. He knows what's best for us. He's provided what's best for us. And he only asks that we love and we worship him with everything we have. Everything that we are. I want you to keep on thinking about this throughout the week. And so I want to give you four questions that maybe you could take them into your quiet time every day. And that you would just consider that you would ponder. And here are those questions first question is, what disappoints you? What disappoints you? You might say, well, a lot of things disappoint me. What has a disappropriate disappointment in your life? What is it that you're dealing with that the disappointment is, is out of balance? What, what might that be? Second question, uh, 
What do you complain about the most? What do you complain about the most? Our complaints reveal what really matters to us. Number three, what do you make financial sacrifices for? Because Jesus said, where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. That's an indication. And finally, where do you run to for comfort? In other words, who do you go to when you're hurting? Is God your refuge? Or are you going to self-help books? Are you going to Dr. Phil? Are you going to Oprah? Are you going to uh, the friend down the street? It's okay if you're going to the friend down the street, but the first place that we go to when we're in these situations, when there are these challenges, we run to God. Scripture says He is our fortress. He's our stronghold. He's our refuge that we can hide beneath His wings and that we can find comfort and we can find solace. And as our God, that would be the first place that we would want to go. So would you take these questions and would you just work them into your quiet time all throughout the week? And would you have some honest conversations with God? Would you be willing to acknowledge the false gods that you've allowed in your life that have been competing for God's true worship, loyalty, allegiance, love, and and, and you recognize you're pursuing these things rather than Him? And when you acknowledge them, then just say, God, I give them to you. I give them to you. Would you take them, forgive me, and restore me? For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.